What a wonderful time we have to be able to come to the Word of God again. Yes? You came here this morning hopefully to hear the Word of God. And I must say, what a wonderful time we had in the book of Revelation so far. It's been so many weeks and we have seen so many new things. And it's not as if it's new, new things. It's always been there, but it's just been revealed to us. And we are coming closer to what I set out to do in the beginning, and that is to preach about the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And I believe it's the right time to preach about them because we are living in really peculiar times, aren't we? If we look at the world right now, and, and we don't know. I mean, how, how do we know the future from today? How do, well, how do we know what's going to happen tomorrow in the world? How do you know? I mean, we're sitting in Melbourne where there could be two or three corona cases tomorrow and we're all in lockdown. And I'll be standing here and preaching again with a, a room without any people and you would be watching me on YouTube. How do we know? How do we know what's coming next year and the year after, next week, next month? And we hear all of these things in the world. We hear about the, the Great Reset. Have you heard about that one? Our Prime Minister is now talking about a financial adjustment next year. And the Finance Minister talks about it. And, and all of these things is there to make people fearful. But the child of God, the Christian, should not be fearful when we look into the world. We should not look onto the world. We should keep our eyes focused upon Jesus. But these things is things that is happening around us. We hear about loved ones. I mean, in South Africa, the COVID virus is arrived there and there's lots of people dying. And, and now it's coming closer to home. A lot of my school friends now who went to me, with me to school has passed away from COVID. One of my, my, my family members, one of their daughters passed away from COVID. And, and these are things which makes people faith shake a bit. But the child of God should not be shaken by this. Why? Because we need to keep our eyes focused steadfastly upon Jesus. That's where we should look. So when I prayed about what we should go on, and as you remember, we, we go through the Bible verse by verse, I feel it that the Lord laid upon my heart to preach about the church. Because the question, brother and sister, is, where is the church in all of this? Where is the church? You remember the scripture verse that I said that Jesus, when he comes back, will he still find faith upon the earth? Will he? And I must tell you, if I look upon churches today, and if I look upon the church today, I look at it and I see a lot of faith is becoming little faith or no faith at all. So where is the church in all of this? So I think it is a timely time to preach about the seven churches. And we are so close. We are one sermon away from getting into them. So next week we're going to look at starting with the church of Ephesus. But today we want to come to the key that opens up Revelation for us. We saw last week and the week before that Jesus said, I have the keys of Hades and death. You remember that? And we know that keys gives you authority and control. But today we're going to look at a verse that's going to open up the whole book of Revelation for you. Now, this is not only my teaching. There is many before me who already studied the Scriptures very well, and there's a lot who, who believe and who agree with this verse opens up the whole book of Revelation for us. Now, before I get into that, 
I just want to remind you of something which I said before. When we come to the book of Revelation, and in any case when we come to the Bible, there's a threefold application in the Bible. You remember that? First is a local application. So the things that we're reading about happened in their day. There was these people in those days, there were churches there, and it happened in their day. And they could see it. The local application for John was that he saw the glorified Jesus Christ. But then there is a prophetic application. What is the prophetic application? The prophetic application is the things that, that happened in and around these churches, which happened in the Bible in the first century. Those things are also happening again in our lifetimes. So it's a prophetic application. The things that were said by Jesus, the things that were said by Paul, Peter, James and John, everything you read in the New Testament is a prophetic application of where we are today. Otherwise, this would be an old moldy book. Is it? Is it an old moldy book? No, the Bible says of this itself, it is living and powerful. So there is a prophetic application, but then there's also a personal application. What is the personal application? Who can tell me? Come on. What does the Bible say to me? Okay, so he speaks to the church, collectively to the whole church, but then the Bible also speaks to me. And when we're going to continue on, we will see these three applications play out. Always remember, always remember that the Bible is also one of the most accurate history books in the world. Everything that you read in the Bible happened. It literally happened. It's not a fable. So these churches were there. John saw Jesus. It literally happened. And he applies it to us. And you will see as I continue going through and going on how those three things apply. And I'm going to refer back to them a lot over the next six, seven weeks as we're going to open up the churches. So we look at the keys of Revelation. And I want this to be opened up for you. Because a lot of people say the book of Revelation is a difficult book. But you have to look it through the keys. Each book in the Bible has got a verse which opens it up and shows you what the book is all about. So let's read in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. This is where we got the last time. It says, And when I saw him, this is John on the Isle of Patmos, when I saw him, and by the way, let me just quickly fill in before I forget, why is John there on the Isle of Patmos again? For two reasons. He's there for the testimony of Jesus Christ which he was living out amongst the people. The testimony lives inside of you. It's when the Spirit of God comes and he lives inside of you. And then it it changes your life in and amongst the people so that they see Christ in you. Is that right? They see how your life has changed. They say to you, we know you, but you're not the same anymore. 
So that is it. You know, he, he's there on the Isle of Patmos because of that. And secondly, for the word of God, for the preaching and everything that came out of his mouth was the word of God and people disliked it. You and I will be persecuted for the same things. Now, somebody might say, that's a negative thing. Oh, poor John. You know, he's sitting there on this island, and Isle of Patmos wasn't a holiday place. If you look at it today, they've overbuilt the place. It's a holiday destination today. But back in the day, it was a place where they sent all the unwanted to, the prisoners, the bad people, the people that you don't want to hang around with. They sent them all the all the 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 the, the ones that they want to they want to get their voices down, and the the thieves and so on. They sent them to that island. And you go, poor John. You know, he might be sitting there on a rock and say, Moha, Troha, how bad is it upon me that I'm sitting here? I'm trying to do all of these things for God and now I'm being punished for this. Do you think he saw it like that? No, I said to you. How wonderful is it? Here is, here is a God's man sent into this environment. And what has he got inside of him? He got the testimony of Christ and the word of God. What can he do? They can't run anywhere. They can't get off the island. If he walks around them and they work hard on those marble mines, and at nighttime they're all quiet, they're tired and they, they're lying around, what can John do? He can preach the word of God. And some of those prisoners could be saved. Amen? Never look at your circumstances as a punishment from God. Never look at your circumstances as a punishment from God. Look at it as an opportunity for God to speak to other people through them. So we see then in verse 17, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me. That's the authority hand. And saying to me, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades in death. And here is our verse this morning. Verse 19. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. The Lord bless the public reading of his word. So here we find Christ. Earlier on in the chapter we saw him where? In the middle of the lampstands. He's standing in the middle of them. And what does the lampstands represent? The church and the churches. And this tells me today that Christ is actively involved in the church. He's actively involved in the church. We're going to read about one church who is standing at the door and knock, trying to get in. It's because that church, is they don't want Christ in the church. And there are churches like that this morning. But he's standing in amongst the church and he can look upon all what's going on in the church. Now who's in the church? People. Saints. Us. And as he's looking at the church, he's not looking at buildings. He's looking at the body, at the people in the church. And he's looking upon them to see where they are at their spiritual walk with him. 
So we see he's standing in the middle of them. So I want to go in, and today's message is not going to be long, and I must confess again, as you remember that I said a few times, that, you know, there's just so much that I can preach on. You know, I'm just going to give you the key today. It's going to be a short message, because if I do the first church, I'm going to keep you here for, a, for nearly two hours. And I know some of you will go, no, Pastor, I'm not for two hours. Some will say, come on, preach it on. But I'm just going to talk to you about verse 19. So Revelation 1 verse 19, he says to him, write these things. And did he write them? Yes. That's what you've got in your hands right now. He wrote it all down. How privileged are we? Just think of this. The things that Jesus Christ told John to write down, you can read it right here. It's right there for you to read. What if he just stopped at the first chapter? Then we will always sitting, be sitting here and say, I wonder what he said. I wonder what it's all about. No, he never left it over for us to wonder about. He actually told him, he says, write these things. And now he's going to give us a chrono chronological way that he's actually putting out this book. And he's talking specifically about the book Revelation. It's a chrono chronological order of Revelation. He says, first of him, he says, write the things which you have seen. What things is that? That's the past things. And then he says the things which are. That's the present things. And then he says the things which will take place after this. What is that? That's future. And it's so wonderful this morning to know that we serve a God who's past, present, and future. You know, when we talk about history... The word itself is made out of that. It is his story <clears throat> that we only lived through. So he is in history. And so he knows your history and my history. Here's the personal application again. He knows the church's history. He knows it all. But then also he is present with us. He's here today. You can't see, you, you know, in, in, in the spectrum of, of sight, you and I can only see to one. If we could only see the next spectrum into sight, we will be able to see angels with our own eyes. We will be able to see what's going on in the spiritual world. But God does not mean for us to do that right now. Because I'll tell you one thing, dear friend, if you can see some of these angels, you'll be frightened. You won't sleep at night. We've got descriptions of them in the Bible. But he says it here, he's here now, and then he's also the God of the future, and I thank God for that. So here's the key. If we look at these three things, and we discuss them, and we look at the book of Revelation, it will open up to you to understand what's going on. The first one we want to look at is the past. He says, write the things which you have seen. So we see on our timeline there that Jesus Christ, when he rose from the grave, he arose into heaven, he ascended into heaven, and that is where he is right now. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, he's our high priest, he intercedes for us. If we pray, we enter into heaven through Jesus. This is why whenever I pray, I say, Lord, I come to you in the name of Jesus. This is when I pray. Because there's none other name that I can go to the Father except the name of Jesus. There's not many ways that lead to heaven. Oops, sorry, Oprah. 
You know, there's some people who follow Oprah as an evangelist. She's not. She's deceived. She said there's many ways to Jesus, to God. No, no, Jesus is the only way. And this is why when we come to God, we come through the name of Jesus. He took His own blood into the holiest of all on our behalf. So He says to him now, write the things which you have seen. What is He telling him? What have He seen? Well, this is chapter 1. What did He see up until this point? What did He see? He saw the golden lampstands. And what did he see in the middle of the golden lampstands? He saw Jesus appearing to him. And let it be known, apart from the Mount of Transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration, what happened there, at the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, the Bible says they were in a deep sleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus and they saw these other two and Peter wanted to build huts for them. But there was not a description like this of Jesus. This is fascinating, people. Brother, sister, you and I know how Jesus is going to look like. Remember what I said a few weeks ago. Jesus is not what the books picture him as. This man walking around with long brown hair and a big beard. That's not. This is the Jesus you're going to see. And he says to John, write these things down. Why? So that you and I can know exactly how Jesus is going to look like when we die and we look him in the face. There's no surprise for us. None whatsoever. We know how he's going to look. And then we saw him standing in the middle of the golden lampstands. He saw the glorified Christ. And as I say, it's the first description of Christ that we find in the New Testament. One like the Son of Man. He had a garment down to his feet, golden band around his chest. That, that was the picture of a high priest. He had a golden band there. His feet were like fine brass. His head and hair were white like wool. His eyes like a flame of fire. His voice as the sound of many waters. A sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. And his countenance was like the sun shining. Who remember that sword? Romfire. You remember that? That is the sword that will slay the nations. It's not the same sword as in Hebrews chapter 4, which is a Mikaira sword. It's a smaller sword, which cuts finely. This, this sword here is the sword that will come back in Revelation chapter 19. It's the same sword which is used in Greek in Revelation chapter 19 when he comes back on the white horse and the battle of Armageddon will take place. The Romphia sword. It is a massive sword. It is a war, it's a battle sword. This is what John saw. And he says to him, write thing down the things which you have seen. And he's not saying what you have seen right through the Bible. Now we've got the Gospels. What did John saw in the Gospels? He saw Christ as what? As a human being. He's already written that. He saw Christ in and amongst them. So when he says to him, write down the things that you have seen, it's the things which you have seen in the revelation. And that's the first part. And then he says to him, secondly, write down the things which are. You see that? That's present tense, isn't it? And that is where we are living right now. The present tense. Are some of you still living in the past? <laughs> 
Are you? I look at a lot of people and they're still living in the past. When they talk, they tell you all of the things that happened in the past, isn't it? How bad those people handled me. What that person said about me. What those people stole about me. Where did it happen? It happened in the past. So turn to the person next to you and say, come on, move on. Because we're in the future. We're in the future. We're not in the past anymore. And this is the things to get excited about now. You know, I'm, I'm excited about the past of John. Why? Because it explains to me and it describes to me Jesus Christ as we're going to see Him. Just like He saw Him. We're going to see Him. But now the excitement comes. Why? Because I don't know about you, brother and sister, I can do nothing about yesterday. I can do nothing about it. And I can do nothing about tomorrow, or worry about tomorrow. But I can certainly do about the things happening today. This is why this message is so serious. Because Jesus addresses the church of today. What is he writing there? He says, write down the things which are. What are the things that are? Did I form that one right? Well, that is Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And this is also called the church age. This is where we're living in today. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 2, Paul says it. He says, if indeed I have heard... Let me put on my glasses. It's too small. I need to read it with my glasses. He says, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which has given to me, uh, to me for you. What is the dispensation of grace? It is the church age. And again, I refer you back in the book of Luke. You remember when Jesus went into the synagogue and he went in as a rabbi and they gave him the book of Isaiah and he took the scroll and he rolled it up. And remember the scroll wasn't in chapters back then. Chapter divisions came in later to make it easy for you and for me. He had a big scroll, Jesus, and he rolled him out. And you can imagine how many words and he would look intentively right through from the top. He would look down and he specific place and if you look in the book of Isaiah chapter 61 is at the end of Isaiah so he took maybe a long time until he came to the passage and he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he ends in that synagogue to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord you remember that he stopped the verse halfway through he didn't complete the verse what did he leave out and the day of the vengeance of our Lord. So brother and sister, the day of vengeance is not here yet. In the present, it's not here yet. Yes, God disciplines His children. If you sin, and if you continue if you sin, God will discipline you. But it's not the day of the vengeance. The day of the vengeance is coming. When will the day of the vengeance come? After the day of the Lord, uh, after the day of grace, after the dispensation of grace. So how wonderful is it that we are still living in that grace time? And he says to him, I want you to write down the things which are, and that's the church age. In Luke chapter 19, we saw that, and he's talking about these churches here. He talks about Ephesus. And when we're going to go through these churches, you will find that uh, 
there's a lot of these churches, things happening in the churches. And remember what I said, local application, there were physical churches, prophetic application. There is certain churches today who is a loveless church. You walk into the church and there's no love amongst the people. They are just there to play church. There are churches who are compromising churches. They won't preach the gospel. They won't preach the Bible anymore. They will just read you little nice stories. There is a persecuted church. Do you know that? This guy who contacted me is not the only guy who contacted me. Two weeks ago, the representative of Voice of the Martyrs called me up. You, you, you People familiar with that? He called me up. This is the persecuted church. And it's really interesting. I think that particular week, I was standing here and I said, look... If we talk to the persecuted church and we say we pray for you guys, they will say, don't pray for us, we pray for the Western world, because you, you, the church is asleep. That same week, that guy called me out of the blue, and he told me about the work they are doing, and, and you know, I'm going to invite him to come in and talk to us about the persecution that's happening. So all of these churches, you know, we're going to see all of that. He writes it, he says the things which are the corrupt church. We're going to see a church that's corrupted, and we find that as well. And then the dead church. These are people only coming to church because mom and dad is in church. And we've got so many dead churches, dear friends. And then we've got the faithful church and the lukewarm church. And we're going to address all of them. So we see in this key, he says, write the things which you have seen. That's chapter 1. And then the things which are, which is chapter 2 and 3, the church age. And then, this is now an interesting one, he, we, when we come to it, it is, and we write down the things which will take place after this. So we find the first one, he saw Christ, chapter 1, second one, the churches, that's the birth of the church, Peter standing up, full of the Holy Spirit, and we saw the church starting, and now we find the things which will take place hereafter. Now I want to say this morning that I absolutely believe in the rapture of the church. And that's what I preach. And it's by all means, like I say, there's a lot of people who believe it will happen mid or post-trip. That's not what I'm talking about today. But what I'm talking about today is that we're going to see that after the church stops at this point, and he talks to write about the things which will take place after this, we find it really interesting that he uses the Greek word for after this, metatauta. So he says to him, John, I want you to write down which you have seen, which are, and metatauta. Which is really interesting. That when you go to chapter 4, 4 verse 1, I'll read it for you. The very first words of that chapter is what? Metatauta. The very first verse of chapter 4. He says, metatauta, I looked. And behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. He says, Metatauta, and then at the end of that first verse, he says, Metatauta again. You say, what, what do you mean by this? It opens up revelation to you. Because absolutely, brother and sister, I don't read about our church, the church we're in, not Kingsway, but the church on the earth, on the earth again after chapter 4. I read about the persecuted church, yes, but not about the churches 
that he's addressing. So he says, Metatauta, and that is a key for us. Remember that word. And we will then read as we continue on. We will go into chapter 4, maybe after the churches, and show you immediately what will happen after that. So that's the key that opens up the Bible or Revelation for you. Three things. I want you to write down the things which you have seen they saw Christ. I want you to write down about the churches which are, and then the things after this. The next event on God's timeline is the coming of Christ. Not to come and set up his kingdom here. There's a difference here. He's not going to set his feet on the ground. Paul says he's going to come in the air and we will meet him in the air. He's going to come to receive unto him his children. He, he, Paul writes to Titus in Titus 2 verse 11. He says, for the, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Write down the things which are, you remember? This is where we're living in. How should we live in this age? He says it there. Live godly. Forget about worldly lusts. Live soberly. Live righteously in the present age. Now look at this now. Look at this now. This should be an encouraging for us. Verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now I know there's a lot of people who, who combine that into the second coming. But I'm talking about Christ coming to receive his own in what is called the Arpazzo. And I, I showed it to you in my timeline there. That the Arpazzo will take place and between the Arpazzo and the second coming will be seven years which God will first of all deal with Jerusalem, with Israel. He will deal with Israel. He's going to deal with that nation but also going to deal with sin, also going to deal with this world. This is called the great tribulation, the tribulation that will come from God. There's a difference between tribulation and persecution. We will go through persecution, and many times we are, but this is the tribulation of the Lord. This is when it happens from heaven, and no man can stop it. And here Paul says to Titus, looking for the blessed hope, and the glorious appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.6 Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short of no gift, eagerly waiting for the revel revel revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you eagerly, eagerly waiting for Him? Are you? This is a question you need to answer for yourself. Are you looking forward for him to come? And then, Philippians chapter 3, and, and again, brothers and sisters, there's so many scripture verses. And by the way, I, I thought about it and I prayed last night as well. We'll go through the seven churches, and when we get to Revelation chapter 4, I'm going to preach one sermon specifically on why I believe the Arpatsu will take place, okay? That will come after the churches. So today's not to go into the finer. I will preach about that in seven weeks, Lord willing. But Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, for our citizenship is in, our citizenship is in Australia. 
No, our citizenship is in heaven. I mean, Brother Trevor spoke to me this morning. He says, I'm a citizen not of this world. I'm a citizen of, of heaven. Yes, we still have to obey laws which will not make us to sin. So I can't just go down this road and, and drive for 120 kilometers an hour. There's reasons I can't do that. I will break the law. I'm not going to do that. I'll, I'll be responsible for that. But my citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly wait. There he uses the word again. For whom? We wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that what you're waiting for? Now the hope that he's talking about here in uh, Titus is not for heaven or for glory, but for Jesus himself. And this is what I said before. People are so concentrated on the world and on the virus and on every single thing and, and to make a No, no, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ himself. Now he gave us a promise. One, two more verses and then we'll finish. He gave us a promise. And I love this promise. In John chapter 14 verse 1 he says, and, and he was, this was the final days before he was going to die on the cross. He said to his disciples, I'm going to go away. And they started fearing and fretting around and, and he gave them some encouraging words. And one of them is this promise. The promises of God are amen. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Everybody say troubled. Are we living in troubled times? Yes. Is it rubbing off on you? It shouldn't. It shouldn't rub off on you. Because you know what troubles do? Trouble kills your faith. I'll say that again. Trouble kills your faith. Because you look so much onto the waves that you forgot about Christ. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Can you bank on that? Absolutely. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what will happen? I will come and receive you to myself. 1 Thessalonians, He will come on the clouds and receive unto Him us. He will receive unto Himself that where I am, there you may be also. Where is Christ now? He's in our citizenship place. He's in heaven. And soon and very soon, my dear brother and sister, we're going to see Him coming on the clouds. We're going to hear the trumpet sound and He will come to receive us unto Himself. And this is something we need to eagerly await for. Now let me finish chapter 1. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. I think I'll preach of this. I can hear it cutting in and out. No? <clears throat> so he says there, the seven lampstands and the seven churches. Now what is he talking about when he talks about a mystery there? The mystery is not something which is new. It is something which we didn't know. The knowledge is always there. It's been there. But he, he gives us it. You know, for somebody who reads this in the world, they'll read, what is he talking about seven stars? And what's he talking about the lampstands? 
And we know now that the lampstand is a churches. But I want to end on this one here, which I find really, really great. He says, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, I've heard somebody preach in the past, and they say that each church has got an angel, which is overlooking the church. And some people even believe we need to pray to these angels and ask them to protect us. That is nonsense. If you just read through the Bible and understand the mystery which he opens to us, you will understand that the angels he's talking here about is the pastors. Now, I know you're going to look at me and say, you don't look like an angel, dear pastor. And I get you. You know, I look at myself in the morning these days, and I go, whoa, this is not the guy I saw 15 years ago. You don't look like an angel in there. But what is an angel? An angel is a messenger. That is what angels do. Angels ought not to be worshipped. So any which one, people that come to you and say, we need to pray to the angels, they are in error. It's the same error that the book of Colossians addresses. No, no, an angel is only a messenger. And only what I am, brother and sister, is a messenger. I'm giving you the word of God. And he says here, the angels here that he's talking about is the messengers of the churches. It's the pastors of the churches. The seven stars are the angels and the seven lampstands, which which you saw is the seven churches. Praise the Lord. Is that clear? Everybody got the key today? To open up the book of Revelation. If you understand that chronological line, you will understand Revelation. It will become easy. Now, I get it. After you get into chapter 4, you really have to... And this is the thing which I find fascinating so many times. People want to preach through or hear about Revelation. They want to start with Revelation. Sometimes, you know, in, in my life that I have been a pastor in New Zealand, somebody comes to you know, are born again and they come new in the faith. Guess which is the first book they want to tackle? Revelation. And I go, you can't understand Revelation if you haven't read the whole book. You have to read and understand the Bible to understand Revelation. The key will open it up for you. The first, the first two is really easy. I gave it to you. It's Jesus Christ. It's written right there. The churches is really easy. You will see, and we're going to compare them to the, to the seven kingdom parables in, in Matthew chapter 13. Remember, Matthew was written under the old covenant still. He wasn't talking to the church. He was talking about the kingdom. But in the new covenant, under, uh, when it was transitional books, but then when he comes here in the book of Revelation, he addresses the church. We're going to compare those, and you'll see fascinating correlations between them. But you can't understand it if you don't read through the Bible. Praise the Lord. Let's pray if somebody can just call my wife uh, to prepare. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord. We've come at the end of chapter 1. Uh, Father, I must say, looking back, I thank you, Lord, for opening up the Scriptures again to me and for my understanding, Lord. I thank you again, the Holy Spirit, which opened it up. And I must say, Lord, there are so many riches I'm not the same man as when I started preaching about these before. I am certainly a changed man again, Lord, by seeing with humility all of the riches of your word. And Father, I thoroughly believe, absolutely believe, if we start again with chapter 1 and preach through it, you will again, like a, a man with a treasure box, lift out new things for us, which has always been there. 
So Father, as I endeavor to start with the churches next week, I want to pray what I've preached, Lord, that you will speak to us and uh, Father, give us the knowledge about the local application, but also the prophetic application and then the personal application. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be able to preach it in Jesus' name. Amen.